0: This is Sharon Lovett of the Tyndale Momentum book team at Tyndale House Publishers. I'm talking today with Dimas Salabarios about his inspirational memoir, Street God. Dimas is pastor of Infinity Bible Church in the South Bronx of New York City. Infinity targets at-risk youth and spearheads numerous outreach events and discipleship groups. Demas has preached the gospel on every continent except Antarctica. He holds a Master of Divinity degree from Alliance Theological Seminary. He and his wife Tiffany live in the Bronx with their two young daughters. Street God will be available to readers in September 2015. Welcome Demas. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to discuss your book.
1: I'm so glad to be on the call with you.
0: And Dimas, today you are the pastor of a thriving church in the Bronx, the president of Concerts of Prayer Greater New York, and you travel and preach internationally. Looking back to the time before you met Christ, if someone had told you you'd be living this life now, what would you have said?
1: Um, it would have been really hard to, uh, to imagine that. Uh-huh. I mean, my, 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 all my goals were different. You know, um, you know my, my dream at that time was to be one of the largest uh, drug dealers in, uh, in the United States.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, at that time, I had, you know, cars, I had, you know, thousands of dollars, pounds and pounds of marijuana and guns. And if someone would have came to me and said, you know what, you're going to be a pastor, and you're going to be a Christian leader and you're going to lead the prayer movement in New York City, and you're going to be in charge of the largest network of pastors in the city, that would have been a very very tough, you know, very hard thing to see. But it also just warms my heart that there are people probably out there just thinking the same way I was thinking, and the church has a great opportunity to reach them and give them a better vision for their lives.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you know from reading your wonderful book that your life really didn't start out this way. I mean, you you came from a, a middle class neighborhood with professional parents to one of drug dealing and violence, where you were known as Daylight. Who who was Daylight?
1: Um, Daylight was a person that you know sold drugs at age 11, you know, and uh, continued to sell drugs into his uh, mid-20s. Um, you know, God, you know, had a plan for his life. I mean, it was it was evident all throughout if the readers read the book, and that's what was so exciting about writing it, is that you could see where God was showing up over and over again, but without someone to really articulate to me the plan of God, um, it was just hard to, to see how to, like, follow God or make him, you know, part of my day-to-day life. Mm. So, so Daylight was this young kid in New York City, mm. in Queens, New York, when, uh, when drugs was at an all-time high during the crack boom and, uh, and got swiped right into that whole world and, you know, watched several of his friends get murdered Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was fairly normal to see violence on the street, to be beat up, you know, as a part of the drug business was just, you know, like one of those things you just took on as as part of manhood because of all the money you made. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a kid that had to watch over his shoulder and as a a man had to look over his shoulder from someone coming to try to take my spot in the business.
0: Yeah, I ha- I have to say, you know, I know from reading your book and from what you just said that the money is the thing that lured you in, but as I was surprised when I read the book just to know how hard that life was. I mean, you you had the money and you had the cars, but the time you spent on the um in the in jail and on the street and the beatings, like you said, I just didn't even realize that. And I kept wondering what kept you there for as long as it did. It was really awful. Um, what was it that kept you eking that kind of a life out?
1: Well, you know, the, the, the drug dealers are very wise, and Satan and his plans are, are strategic to create this false sense of a family feeling, I mean, you know, to be a drug dealer, that was like my rites of of passage. I felt like I was a part of an army. You know, one group was known as the supreme, you know, the supreme team. I mean, that's a that's a notable group that had high level, low level structures with lieutenants and and enforcers. So you felt like you were a part of this demonic thing that was way bigger than yourself Mm. and you felt like everyone had to pay their dues that was always Uh, often communicated even as the readers get in the book they'll see that there's a culture there it's like hey this is a part of the business and you got to learn these stripes as well because one day you're going to pass forward the same kind of violence and you're going to have to take over territories in the same kind of way so Mm. it was like I was being discipled
0: Mm -hmm. you know by
1: the enemy. But I also had a love for the money and for the resources.
0: Mm. Yeah, I like what you're how you're describing that. That it just kind of came with the territory, and um, so you accept it. It just from an outside perspective, it just seems so miserable <laughs> to me.
1: Yeah. 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 It was miserable living through it. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well. Can you share the pivotal moment that gave you the courage and the desire to leave that life?
1: Um, honestly, I mean, it, it was, it was an empowering encounter with God's followers. And, um, and once I really got to see that Jesus was as real as he was described in the pages of the Bible, hmm. um, that just, that rocked me. I mean, my heart was so open to to his truth. And, you know, I was an all-in kind of person, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I was committed to sell drugs until the day I died,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know. But Christ gave me a bigger picture for my life. And, uh, and I think when the reader gets to that portion of, of the story, um, that's one of the things that I think, josh mcdowell tim keller and others have just highlighted like this piece right here the redemption uh, of this story is just uh second to none yeah. you know of what god could do in a life you know uh committed to him so so i pray i, I pray that uh they would they would every reader would feel the power of that moment you know and i don't want to mess that up for someone reading it. yeah
0: yeah Yeah, and um, the conversion is so dramatic; it gives hope to people who might have somebody in their life that they just think is beyond the reach of God. Because it reminds me of, um, you know, John Newton, the slave trader, or uh, Paul. You know, and here you are, and like you said, you're all in. And I, I'm wondering if that part of you that God gave you that that desire to be all in is kind of what led to your becoming connected with these very well-known christian leaders that you just mentioned josh mcdowell tim keller and a lot of others uh, Luis palau who've really come alongside and befriended you and mentored you how how do you think that really transpired
1: um you know one of the things that all those guys have in common is they all have a serious prayer life. Mm. They all have a, 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 an unceasing uh, commitment to see Christ's kingdom go forward. Mm. And, you know, I think when when people read the book and they start to capture my love for God, mm. and, you know, it's almost one of my favorite books of the Bible is uh, in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus dropped everything and went after Jesus. And, um, and the rich young ruler didn't. But, you know, there's a part where, like Zacchaeus, you're so in the dark, you're so in that state of darkness that Jesus just shines so much brighter that you want to give him everything. You know, I want I want to, you know, live in the realm of self-denial. I want this flesh to constantly be crucified. The things of this world became so small to me. I mean, once you've had, you know, the money that I made, and you had all the, you know, the cars and the perquisites and all these kind of things and being acknowledged, you begin to really see these things are so fleeting. Hmm. But what I have with Christ will last forever. And 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 I think when those guys got around me and they saw that passion, that fire. I think they were just compelled to pour into me and to encourage mm-hmm. me and to and to press into me to go all out for Jesus and mm-hmm. and I humbled myself and did that. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um you know, it's so interesting that God you you know, God creates us and gives us these things, parts of us that can be used for evil or for good and you're all in for the drug dealing has been radically turned around and it's manifesting so much fruit for the kingdom. And, you know, I was struck with just seeing how you live your life, um, that your ministry seems to evolve as you see needs all over our country and even the world. And lately, you've been doing some. Things and going different places that I would imagine you never really anticipated going can you tell us about what you've been doing? recently around the United States
1: um, You know when uh, this whole situation happened and in, um, in Baltimore uh, our team went right on the ground day one in Baltimore with 200 arrests with angry people that were really upset and ready to go to war with the cops on day two mm-hmm. and uh, our team went down there day two went after everybody had a mask or had hoodies on or were angry or ready to fight and they would tell us i'm here ready to fight i'm ready to die battling the cops and we would just say you know can we pray for you can we can we talk to you and we would begin to just pray for them mobilize these these, gang, uh, these gangs and groups, and we just prayed for them for over six hours. On that night, only two people were arrested. When the curfew came, many of them looked at me and said, man, you know what, you're right, I'm out of here, and, wow. they, and they left. Then we went to uh, Charleston.
0: Uh, yeah. We
1: got down there, facilitated a uh, majority of the prayer events and gatherings that took place in front of Mother Emanuel and me church and uh, ministered to thousands there and led a march, you know, of uh, around 10-plus thousand people across Charleston's uh, bridge. Our team was at the forefront of that march and uh, mobilized prayer and individuals all throughout there. Now we're bringing black and white pastors in Charleston together uh, along with one Charleston, and it's just been absolutely incredible to see this racial reconciliation happen in a place where it wasn't really happening on this level before. So, you know, God has, I mean, my heart is to serve Jesus and I know his kingdom is bigger than just our church. So we're willing to go into whatever areas, tough areas and, and begin to bring God's peace and love. And I hope people, you know, as they read the book street God, they'll capture that vision that each and every person that's even listening to this podcast has a valuable role to play in solving some of some of the society's ills today you know that there's some ills in society that they we all have the power to correct today and i know that we could be used to go and do that
0: oh thank you thanks well it sounds (laughs) like uh a sequel to Street God needs to be planned now, really, <laughs> honestly. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. You can order Street God online now, and it will be available everywhere books are sold September 2015. For more information about Street God and Dimas' ministry, visit streetgodbook.com.